All right, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're at verse 18. And we're going to see, a, for a third time, the same type of thing happen. A group of Jewish leaders come and confront Jesus to question Him and try to get Him to say something that they can use against Him. This is the third attempt. And it represents a third different type of group of leaders. And they all come and try to present their own angle of the things that they they think uh, that they can get people on, that they disagree on some point about. Uh, the first time was with the Pharisees. They were the strict Orthodox Jewish priests. And they tried to get Jesus on, what, by what authority are you doing these things? They were trying to push to say, hey, we're the authorities, we're the priests, and... Who are you? And they really were trying to get him to claim to be the Messiah and to be the Son of God because they thought they could use that against him. Because they had confused the issue and not, they didn't, had not taught the Scriptures that the Messiah would be God himself, come as a man. And they, that they thought that was heresy and they thought they could get him on blasphemy to claim that he was God as a man. So they tried to get him to admit that he was God himself and Jesus very wisely answered them on that because it was not time yet. Uh, that would come at the end of the week when he would directly answer them and say, Yes, it is as you say, I am the Christ. And hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. The second group that came, we saw this last week, were the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians were the ones that really were the ones to head this up. The Herodians were, as the name suggests, they were in league with Herod, which was the Jewish. He, he was not fully Jewish. He was actually Edomite, but he was seen as the Jewish king appointed by the Romans. And so he worked hand in hand with the Roman Caesars. These were guys who had cooperated with the foreign invaders in a great way, a large way. And um, so their question, therefore was about paying taxes to Caesar. That was their area. And they thought they could get Jesus on that. They thought he would say, no, don't, you, know, you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar because all the Jews didn't like that. And they thought they would get him in trouble that way. But of course, he was so wise in his answer that it left them speechless. The third group that comes now is the Sadducees. They were the liberal group. The Pharisees were the strict Orthodox. The Sadducees were the liberals but they were priests. But they were like the elite, kind of like the elite today who are religious. They will say they're Christian, but they don't believe in the Bible at all. It's just something that serves them to be said they're Christian. They're very far away from the truth of the Bible. It's kind of like a lot of the politicians today. You know, everybody claims to be a Christian. They say, oh, I'm Christian. Like Nancy Pelosi, she'll say, oh, the, my, my Catholic faith is very important to me. That's why I kill babies. And it, it, she'll say something totally opposite of what her church teaches. But yet, she prizes and, and very much asserts that she is a Christian. That's how these Sadducees were. They claimed religion, but they were very liberal. And they undermined its very teachings while they claimed to be a believer in it. 
And this will come out very quickly here, is that one thing they did is they denied the resurrection. They said there's no afterlife. How can you be a religious person and say there's no afterlife? But that's what they did. It looks like today, you know, they'll do the same thing when they say they're Christians and they'll kill babies. They said there was no resurrection. There was no afterlife. Once you die, it's it. And they also did not accept all of the Old Testament. They only looked at the first five books. They only said that's the scripture and nothing else. And then they didn't even believe what it said. So these guys were really messed up. And that's the ones that come and speak to him. So let's read what happens. Verse 18, then some, then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife, raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise so the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. So Jesus didn't have problems at all of dealing with them. And he wisely answered them and, and said, you are greatly mistaken. And he gives his answer in two parts, but let's first look at their question. And they thought they would get him on this. This is, this is these guys who they're sitting around going, you know, all these people believe in the resurrection. They're so foolish. And, and uh, we can get them with this question. Let's ask them this question. Let's say there's a person, a guy who dies and he leaves no children. And then his brother marries his wife and they don't have any children. And there's seven of them. Then... And then, so just ask this question, ask them, well, whose wife is she in the resurrection if there's such a ring as a resurrection? And you can just silence them and they can't answer that question. You know, that was their thinking. And that, that's typical of groups that will have aberrant beliefs and they'll come up with these questions and say, ask them this and think they can get people stumped. And so that's what they're doing to Jesus here. Now, this was based on an Old Testament, something we see in the Old Testament, that you see in the book of Ruth, but it was given in the Old Testament law that if a man died, leaving no children, one of his brothers was instructed, if he was able, to marry his dead brother's wife. And it says the first child will be named after the dead father so that he will have, his name will be carried on. The Bible highly values generational offspring, generational faith, and the name being passed down. That is a biblical practice, and it is this, the, um, it's a very important thing that God stresses of uh, passing down our name to the next generation. And we practice that. 
in our Christian foundation here in America, we practice it, I think, correctly, where uh, the Father's name is passed down. It's not that way around the rest of the world. I was kind of shocked when I first learned this in a lot of other cultures who don't have the biblical foundation we do in America. For instance, in South America, they pass down the mother's name. All these Hispanics that come here, they have their mother's name. They don't have their father's name. And it's, they'll have two or three different names, but it'll be their mother's name is the basis of what they pass down. That's not biblical. Father is the leader, takes on the father's name. You see that in the Jewish culture based out of the Old Testament law. Many times, they would even be named the first name, son of such and such, and it was the name Ben. That's when you see very common, say, Ben Judah, Ben Jacob. It literally means son of Jacob. And that would be their name. We sort of do a similar thing when we say junior, where he takes the father's name. Well, that was a similar thing here. God was making provision for a man who died and he left no offspring where he couldn't carry on his name. And uh, God said, do this. Then the family will step in and help out that a brother who then had the same name, same last name, would marry his wife and the first child would be named after the dead father to carry on his name. That was the setting. And God did instruct the Jews to do that. Uh, and Boaz did that with Ruth. That's what he did. He was doing that to carry on that legacy of a family name. And so they posed that question. Well, if this happens is seven times, then who's she going to... Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus' answer was, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. You are greatly mistaken because you don't know the scriptures, number one, and you don't know the power of God. And then in his answer, he flips those around and he first expounds on the power of God. So let's talk about that. He says, in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage. You're not going to be married in the afterlife, in the age to come. And it's defined, it's, it's separated by the resurrection. There is one great event coming in the future, and it's the resurrection. We're looking forward to it. We're headed to it. It's going to be a huge event in God's creation. And God says after that, there's not going to be any more marriage. Marriage is a temporary physical institution here on the earth. It's one of the main institutions, the family, based on marriage. God works through that. That's how God set things up at the beginning. And it's a physical reality out of the weakness of human beings. When God made Adam, you remember what he says there in Genesis 1 and 2? It says God made Adam and he brought all the animals to him uh, in chapter 2. And he said, but for Adam, there was no helper found comparable to him. There was no mate found for Adam. He had work to do. He had a wonderful creation to live in, but he didn't have a mate. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so I'll make a helper comparable to him. And that was marriage. That's the basis of life here on the earth. And the family is a marriage between a man and a woman. And, it, and, and God, how he designed things, it, it comes out of 
the incompleteness of how he made human life on the earth. It was not good that man was alone. And so marriage, his wife, was for companionship and for assistance. And when God did that, he said, it is very good. And it is. It's a very good thing. Now, just to put it in context, in the New Testament, it does speak about a gifting of God of singleness, but it takes a gift of God because it is not the norm and it is not easy and it has a lot more challenges to it than living by yourself and just going it alone. It's harder road. It's not as, it's, it's more challenging. It, it, you deal with greater challenges. But there's a gifting for that. For some in God's kingdom, Apostle Paul was one of that, that he needed to be single to do the work God had for him, and God allowed him to do that and gave him a strength to do that. But as the norm, that's not where how God is, that's not where we're at normally, and is not the norm of how life functions. It is in companionship and marriage. And it comes out of the incompleteness and the weakness of humanity. That it's lonely to be alone. And it, it, we need help a lot of times. I know you wives just amen. Yeah, the husbands need help. They need help, and I'm going to give it to them. But now, in a right sense, it's teamwork. We do work together. We, we are benefited by a, another perspective, by, a, by another hand, by another you know, set of ears and eyes and, and thoughts. And um, that's how God helps us. But it's out of our dependence and our need. And Jesus reveals something here that's really important for us to get a hold of. And it's a part of God's blessing is that in the age to come after the resurrection, we're not going to be in that state of dependence anymore. Jesus termed it as you don't understand the power of God or what's about to happen. After the resurrection, there's going to be a new state of existence that's going to be much higher, much stronger than what we have right now. And Jesus said, you need to understand that. And therefore, uh, when that happens, you're not going to need marriage anymore. It's not going to be necessary in creating life on the earth and having companionship you're not going to have that need. You're going to exist on a level more powerful. He said, like the angels. And in fact, we see this in Scripture. We get glimpses of it. We don't fully know all the details of it, but that the angels dwell on a level stronger than us. Psalm 8 says that He made man a little lower than the angels. That's a reference to it. We're lower than the angels. The angels operate on a level that's more powerful than us. That's the differences between us and them. And when, like when an angel appeared to different people, appeared to Mary, whenever someone saw an angel, they were afraid. You can see they're on a level higher than us. And it's much akin to what our notion in the world of superheroes are. God made the angels... They can fly. They can, you know, they can fly like Superman. They can do all these things. They have power. They have power that we don't have. The angels have it. And 
they're more powerful than us, and then man has tried to make up this notion of superheroes because we're you know, attracted to that, but it's misguided because there is no Superman, there is no Batman, there never was a Spider-Man, never will be, but there are angels, and they have those powers, and that's amazing to us. But that's how God made the angels. Well, what, God, what Jesus is saying here is, He says, later in the resurrection, that's how you're going to be. You're going to be brought up to that level. You're going to have a level of power that you don't have now and a level of independence that you don't have now in your dependence. And it's going to be different after the resurrection. Therefore, He tells us, actually, you are therefore greatly mistaken. You don't understand what's coming. You don't understand the power of God. What He's going to do in the resurrection. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read the words that it, it, it uh, tells us about this. And we can uh, put this in the context of what Jesus is saying here. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, Paul gives these important statements about the resurrection. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord of heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so there's the wording. It says, in our physical state here on the earth, we're in weakness. But in the resurrection, we're going to be raised in power. We're going to have abilities we don't have now. Both in mobility and I believe, and in, and in relational abilities. We're not going to need companionship like we need it here in our present state and so that's why there's not going to be any marriage you can read that and i remember you know first reading that in the younger days and thinking man what you're not going to have family you're not going to have marriage oh that's going to be lonely that's going to be boring what, what why would god do that later and that's just a lack of understanding you know we're like the sadducees we're greatly mistaken what's coming in the resurrection paul tells us in a glimpse is it's going to be a lot better later. It's going to be a lot more later. We're not going to miss out on anything. It's going to be more and we're not going to miss anything. Those things that will be done away with, marriage will be done away with, it is a removal of that that we don't need anymore. And it'll be more. It won't be lonely in heaven. We'll have, uh, I believe we'll be able to operate relationally on a level that we don't know about today. Both with God, Jesus, Spirit, and then with each other. And, and we won't miss that. It, it is a dependent thing now. We'll be, more, we'll be independent then. We'll be raised in power. We'll be raised in honor, raised in incorruption. It'll all be better. And it'll be through the power of God. Just as He raised Jesus from the dead, and you look at that, Jesus' first body was in weakness. It could die. It got thirsty. It got hungry, but after the resurrection, Jesus was raised in power, and now he could walk through walls. And um, in any the case, they still ate, but I don't think it'll be the same type of weakness. 
Uh, he was raised in power. And Paul there says, we will bear the image of Jesus in His power in our resurrected bodies. And so his answer to them is, you don't understand what is going to happen in the future and you're going to be raised in power and therefore the answer is she's not going to be anybody's wife. They're all going to be independent spiritual beings who have total fulfillment and just a great existence like the angels do. And so that's his wise answer and that informs us about what's coming in the future and the power of God. We look forward to it. It's a good thing. Uh, don't ever think, oh, yeah, I want to have my experiences here on the earth. It's only going to be a lot better in the resurrection. God's works are always what is best for us. And then the second part of his answer was, and you, nor do you know the Scriptures. Because he said, concerning the resurrection from the dead, because he knew their question was really asked in sarcasm to say, well, if you believe there's a resurrection, then answer me this. What about this guy's had seven wives? And they, their, their attitude really is, because there is no resurrection. That was their attitude. And Jesus says, okay, so according, referring to the resurrection, have you never read in the book of Moses? And that was a... Uh, that was Jesus really coming back at them because that, the first five books were the, ones, the only ones they did read. That was the only ones they said, well, we focus on these books and we don't look at these other prophets like you do that are inferior. We look at the books of Moses. And Jesus went right there and said, well, okay, let's look there. Have you not ever read in the book of Moses? And then he goes to some very obscure thing and he brings out a very powerful point that the, the Word of God is so full of truth. There's truth even in small little words that we would skip over in verb tenses. And the Word of God has so much to say to us and we need to search it out. And his example was that when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter Three, he spoke to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Well, they'd been dead for years. But God used a present tense and said, I am the God of Abraham. And that meant one thing, that Abraham was alive. And he wasn't dead. He was with God. And Isaac was with God. And Jacob was with God. And, and uh, he was their God still. It wasn't, I was the God of Abraham, or I was the God of Isaac, I was the God of Jacob. That one word, that one verb tense, spoke to the doctrine of the resurrection. Life after death. And that one word, I am, said there is life after death and Abraham is with God when Moses, God was speaking to Moses. And I think it had been like 400, 400 so, so four or 500 years before that when Abraham lived. And, and Jesus brings out the nature of the Word of God, the Scriptures. They're so full of truth in every word and the verb tenses and it speaks to us in volumes and we may miss it. 
And he said, he said, I am, I'm, he's the God of the living, not of the dead. If he was the God of the dead, you'd have to say he was the God of Abraham. And so Jesus reveals the nature of Scripture, of the detail of God's communication of truth. And we can look at it in that way. We can study it in that way. God's Word speaks volumes. And it speaks this uh, fundamental truth from the beginning to the end is that there's going to be a resurrection coming in the future of everyone who's had physical life on the earth. They're going to be raised to life or raised to eternal death. And that is the one great issue in life that we cannot afford to be mistaken about. These guys were sad. You know, there's the joke, oh, these were, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And it, you know, that's, that's a good play on words because that's the truth. They were sad. These guys were, were very sad cases because they did not believe in any hope of the future of life with God. They believe all you had was this life. Just live for this life on this earth, and that's all you have. In Corinthians, Paul said, if that's, if that's the truth, and that's the way it is, we're of all people to be most pitied. We're pitiful. We should just go and have whatever fun we can have, and then die, and that's it. So that's, that's a futile existence. That's kind of why the world's doing what it's doing. That's kind of why the suicide rate's going through the roof. Because our kids are being taught there's nothing beyond this life and it's just living for yourself and having whatever pleasure in the moment and that's all you should do. And then when they don't feel good, then they're being taught, oh, just go kill yourself because it'll be all over anyway then. Those are all lies from Satan. Every one of it. There is more to life than just life on this earth. And the eternal life is what gives us understanding of how the physical life should work. And we have much to live for and to look forward to. The world is greatly mistaken because they do not have this perspective today. And they are very, very much in a sad condition. But there's wonderful truth through Jesus. And He's the one that has accomplished this. Uh, he's the one that has brought it uh, as the son of Abraham, the son of David, who came and died for our sins so that we could be raised from the dead, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have life forever with God in the present tense. You realize, that's why God took that name, I Am. It was literally in the Hebrew just the, a verb form of to be, of, that we would say be verbs of I Am or to be. And with God, He's always in the present. He's the eternal I Am. God has always been in the present. And He's always been. There never was a time where God said, well, it was before me. It was when I wasn't around. God has always been in the present. And He always will be. Even though He knows the future, for God, really, everything's the present. We're in time. But when we are saved and we're joined to Jesus and we, when we will be raised in His likeness, we will come to know an eternal present. There'll never more ever be of like, oh, there's going to be a past and a future. We'll always be. 
There'll never be an end. Eternal life forever. And that's what we need as we are joined to our Creator who is the God of our life. He's the God of the living. And that's what He wants to give us, life. That comes through knowing the Scriptures and knowing His power and receiving that. Not being like the Sadducees who read the truth but yet don't believe it and try to distort it and try to change it. And in doing that, they reject it. They tried to be leaders for God, and yet they did not have a relationship with God themselves because they rejected the Scriptures. And we will be greatly mistaken in our life if we don't know the Scriptures and know the truth and believe it. We'll be just like the world. The world just living for various things that occupy them and lead them astray into self-destructive habits, actions, and then they die, and it's nothing. They have nothing to look forward to. They wasted their life on the earth. That is really sad. That's where a lot of people are. They need God in their life, and uh, they're destroying themselves because they're doing the same thing the Sadducees did. They do not know the Scriptures, and what they do know, they don't receive and don't accept, and therefore they're greatly mistaken. And so, may we not be like any of these three groups that challenge the authority of Jesus and resist the authority of Jesus and don't accept the Scriptures. That is where they were. And that is where a lot of people are today. But life is found in submitting to His truths, submitting to the Son of God, believing the Word of God, submitting to the Son of God, and receiving that eternal life. It only comes from Him. And then we can be a help to the millions and billions of people who are just like these, who are asserting all kinds of wrong things because they do not know the Scriptures. They do not know the Word of God. And it's, we're coming all back to the same thing. Uh, these, the new emergent church, the new contemporary church, they're saying, oh, well, we don't need to look at the Old Testament anymore. That was just for the Jews. And they're cutting that out. Just like the Sadducees did. And then now they're even saying, oh, we don't need to go by the New Testament because, you know, the early church, they didn't have the whole New Testament at the start. All they had was Jesus, and that's all we need. So we don't have to, we don't get so hung up on the Scriptures. That's what's being preached today. That's the new Christianity. And you're going to run into them, and you're going to talk to them, and they're going to tell you, hey, quit getting so hung up about homosexuality. You know, all you do is believe on Jesus. And you'll talk to those people, these Sadducees, just like Jesus did, who are greatly mistaken. And the way you answer them is the way Jesus did. You share the Scriptures in detail with them. And you give them the truth. And hopefully they will open their, their hearts and their ears to it. The Word of God is the truth of life that we need. And therefore, I'll close by, by saying to you, the most important thing for you to do to start every day is open the Bible and to read it. 
Start your day reading the Bible. And learn the truth. Every day be learning the truth of God. They will guide you. Otherwise, you will be mistaken about how you view life, how you pursue life. You will get off track. And it will be the Scriptures that will guide you and lead you, be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path that will lead you in the way you need to go. And we need to be as detailed, focused on the details of Scripture like Jesus is here on every little word. And all of it has things to speak to us, wonderful truths about life that we can have through Jesus. So don't be greatly mistaken. Don't, have, don't, let, don't stand before the judgment and Jesus say to you, therefore you, you are greatly mistaken in your life because you did not know the Scriptures. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and all your wisdom and greatness. Uh, you were so great. You came to the earth and you dealt with these challengers. And uh, thank you for your insight and in, in, in how powerful and detailed Scripture is for us and the great gift you have for us in a resurrected life that will be more powerful, independent, and, and so much greater than what we have today. And we just thank you for all your good gifts to us. And we want to follow you. And we have all confidence in you. Help us not to resist you, but to follow you completely in all confidence and help us to share help us to share you and your truth with others who are like these Sadducees and they are greatly uh, going astray in their lives help us to be in your word help us this week to be giving time to knowing your word and uh, drawing near to You, for we need You greatly in our life. Give us strength, power to live our lives for You in this evil world. In Jesus' name we pray.